called Hope in the Dark. Hope in the Dark. And um, boy, you know this, if, if there's one series that, that I'd like you to try to be present for every, uh, every time we meet, it's this one. This is the biggest challenge. This is the biggest issue. This is the biggest uh, objection to Christianity. This is the biggest challenge for people who are Christians. Um, this is a, a based on a book that just came out. I, we sold a few of them here uh, by the same title. Uh, the pastor is an interesting fellow who wrote this book. Uh, his name is Craig Groeschel. He's an American, uh, very innovative pastor and, and very, very respected uh, now for some of the things that he kind of pioneered uh, in the contemporary church world. He was one of the first leaders to come up with the idea of multi-site video stream where churches would no longer be only in one place, but they'd have a site here, a site here, a site there with video, live video streaming. People thought that was crazy, and now many, many large churches are doing it, even small churches are doing it. Um, do, do any of you use the version Bible app? Okay, a few of you. So that's from that church. That's from Life Church, which is the church that he pastored, and that church is the one who came up with that whole version thing. And um, so he's very, very innovative and very respected in leadership circles. And all oh, churches, probably 20, 25,000 people, I would think by now, uh, in several different sites. So, um, and some of the things that he writes are excellent. And this book, I thought, wow, he's, he's hit it out of the park here uh, with this, this whole concept, Hope in the Dark. It's a great sermon series to do in January. So, for, for non-believing folks, this is a huge, huge issue. This is a huge problem. This is a huge objection, all right? And maybe there's some, some folks who are watching on Facebook. Uh, I've dialogued with one, briefly with one particular individual who, you know, <laughs> I think the subject matter of the series really turned a switch uh, in, in this person. And maybe they're watching on Facebook Live, and we welcome anybody who's watching on Facebook Live for this series uh, we've kind of put it out there for, for people to, to see. Uh, if, if it's a non-Christian person, this is a big, big challenge that people have because it's this whole idea of, you know, if you have a God who's, who's all-powerful, can do anything, and who's good, then why does such, did such and such a thing happen? And you can fill in the blank with, with whichever thing. Why then did God allow or why did God do such and such or however people phrase it? You know, why did I have to bury my child? Life shouldn't work like that. They should be burying me. I shouldn't be burying my child. Why uh, did that divorce happen? Why did I lose my job? Why did this relationship break? Why did that diagnosis come back? Why did that crash happen? If God is love and if God loves people and if God can do anything he wants and if God is good, then why? I mean, you can look at the news and you see these things all over the place, um, just, just uh, speaking of North America, the United States, did, did you know of the, the terrible uh, uh, crash with the uh, uh, 
what do you call a, a busload or small um, small bus of people from a church. Uh, seven people were killed on their way to Disney World from a church, five children in a fiery crash where a transport truck cro uh, crossed over the medium and crashed into this van, um, killing these children. And they're church people, believing people. And you say, well, why? Why? And this is a huge, huge objection. It's a huge problem. And for non-Christian people, this is not an easily answered question. Sometimes we try to come up with these pat answers. And let me tell you, this is a very hard thing to answer. This isn't an apologetic series. Uh, but you do need to know this is a huge problem. And this is a huge objection to Christianity. We have to, we have to answer that question in taking into consideration a number of things, right? So we have to remember, okay, um, there is this thing of free will. People seem to have voluntary free choice to do whatever they want without some force stopping them, apparently. So, you know, someone can come into this meeting and do something malevolent if they, if they choose. Uh, and they have the free choice to commit an act of good or an act of evil. So we have voluntary free choice to reconcile when we ask this question. We have to deal with the problem of evil itself that seems to exist right along good. We have to deal with that problem. There are many things we have to deal with when we say, well, if God is good, why do all these bad things happen from, an, from a defense of Christianity standpoint? But my hunch is that most of the people in this room and most of the people who are watching now or who will watch on Facebook, that's not really your perspective. Your perspective is, listen, I am a believer. Maybe you're somewhere on the spectrum of belief. Maybe Christianity is relatively new to you. Maybe it's not so new to you, but it's not like you're, you're approaching it from a position of opposition to Christianity. I don't think there's too many of you like that in this room you have some positive lenience toward Christianity in some shape or form. And, but this is a big challenge for you as well because you go through these same questions and you ask these same questions because the reality is that life is not always good. And I love the, the, the second phrase of it or the tagline of his book, believing God is good when life is not good. And that's what I'd just like to focus on as we introduce this whole, this whole thing uh, today. Um, so just a few things for you to, to consider, all right? Um, uh, uh, number one, um, we need to distinguish, I know this is going to sound really simple, but we need to distinguish between God and life. We, so like the title says, believing God is good when life is not. We need to therefore distinguish there is a difference between God and life. Let me tell you why that's so important. Because most church people, most Christian folks who, especially if you've grown up in the church, basically what you are taught and what we are teaching you uh, and what pastors are generally saying or what people who seem to know what they're talking about are generally saying, we're generally saying that you are, you are perceiving your version of God through your life experience. And we call that a testimony. You ever heard that term? 
people used to talk about sharing their testimony. Tell me your testimony, you know, and, and that's good. That's really good to have a testimony. And sometimes people compete with their testimonies. You ever seen that? Well, well, I don't really have an exciting testimony. You know, I wasn't a drug addict. And I wasn't a this and I wasn't a that. I just kind of decided to be a Christian and that's it. Well, that's not a very exciting or very compelling testimony now, is it? Right? You compare testimonies. But what is that saying? That's saying that you perceive your, your understanding of God through the lens of your life experience. That's kind of what we tend to do. Uh, the problem is that that is really, really suspect to do that. Because what that implies is if you have a good experience in life, well, therefore, God is good. But if you have bad experiences in life, what are you going to think of God? You're not going to think of God as being very good. Or, I mean, you're going you're gonna to have a hard time if you constantly connect life and God. It's a bit like this camera. You can see the little camera. It's really small. That's, that's putting us on Facebook Live. Well, the people who are watching this or who will watch it, all they know of what's happening right now is me and this screen. That's all they see. They don't see the whatever it is, 45 people or something behind them. They don't see those people. They just see me and the screen. So they're limited and their concept of whatever's going on is just me and a screen. But that's not true. There's a whole bunch of people behind this camera that they cannot see. And so we, we tend to do the same thing with God. And um, what we have to do is learn to distinguish between God and life. Because if we don't, well, if we have a good experience, we say, yes, 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 God, 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 church, church, church. And then when the whole thing falls apart, and then when the trauma comes in life, and when the difficulty comes in life and the suffering comes in life and the pain comes and the cancer comes and the divorce comes and the, the job is lost and that everything's falling apart and the crash comes and the, all these things start to happen. We say, well, forget it. I give up on God because he maybe he was good, but he's not good now. Or that's because we're connecting the two. And we need to learn to distinguish between the two because life is a very incomplete method of revelation. If your revelation of God is only your life experience, wow, you are on shaky ground. It's not bad. It's just really, really shaky because what happens when evil comes your way? I didn't say if, I said when. It will come your way. What happens when difficulty and trauma and suffering come your way? It will come your way. If your only way of understanding God is through your life experience and that's it, then you are on very shaky ground. Because when things get bad, logically speaking, your understanding of God, your revelation of God is, is going to be all twisted. You see, and so the, we have to learn to distinguish between God and life. I won't, I won't zero in on the stories that are in this room. I, I'm getting to know you more and more. 
Um, but I won't pick on any of, you know, any of the particular stories that are happening here, but I'll go outside of this room and I'll go into some of the things that I've seen in ministry, especially over in big church. Um, and big church is like small church, it's just bigger. <laughs> so there's more stories, there's more people, there's more things that you see, uh, but you see the same things. I remember uh, an experience of a couple, a uh, young Filipino couple, beautiful couple, and they and they, they got married, and they were just, I mean, just an amazing, so filled with potential, so filled with life. And they had their, their, their first child, uh, and their first child was born very severely disabled. All kinds of problems. I can't even pronounce the, the, the thing that this, this kid lives with. Uh, it's been a few years since I've seen him, but wow, you know, just, just disabled, all, you know, can't hearing messed up, vision, comprehension, everything, life is all changed, a wheelchair, you know, just all kinds of stuff that this, this young couple had to now deal with the reality that their son was disabled. And um, so that was one thing that they had to deal with. But then they had another child, and they wanted so much to have a healthy baby. And they prayed and prayed and prayed for a healthy baby. And the baby was born, a little girl. And she was healthy. And they were so, so thankful that God gave them a healthy baby. And uh, one month into that young baby's life, everything started crashing immediately. They didn't know why, but this baby was suffering from very, very uh, heavy brain hemorrhage. And they didn't know why. At first, they thought that maybe the child was struck, uh, but that wasn't true. And this child was just, her brain was bleeding really badly. It was, it was a very severe situation. And the whole thing started to just crash on this young couple. And uh, I, I'll, I, I'll never forget the time when I went to visit them uh, in the hospital, at the children's hospital, which is now no longer standing uh, but I remember visiting them in the hospital with Don Mann, uh, the missionary that we support, and I was working for Don at the time. And we went to visit uh, that baby together. It was maybe the second or third time I had visited this baby. And uh, we went there with a very specific purpose that night, and that was to dedicate the baby to the Lord right there in the hospital. Usually you do that in a happy setting, in a church setting. You know, you do a baby dedication. And we were like, well, we're going to dedicate this baby right there in the hospital room because this baby could, could pass away. It was that severe a situation. I remember going up to that, to that room with Dawn, and we, we gathered with the family, with the couple, and I think it was just the mom at the time. The dad was working, and it was in the evening, and we went there. And I'll never forget, or I won't soon forget, what that mom did when we went to, to lay hands on that baby and pray for that baby. And she just grabbed a hold of, of Don. And uh, he's a big guy, if you, if you know Don Mann. And she just grabbed a hold of him like this and had just frustrated, so, so frustrated. How could God allow this to happen to our baby? We prayed and prayed and prayed for a healthy baby. And look what happened. The baby was healthy and now everything is crashing. And she was so angry and she was so frustrated because her, her revelation of God was all messed up by this, this life experience. And you just looked at it and you said, why, 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 why? And there was really no answer. Uh, the, the story has a, has a great ending. I'll save that for another day. 
but it was awful at the time awful frustrating dark and hopeless and she was angry and rightfully so but that tends to happen when our revelation of god is based only on the circumstances that we experience in life i tell you it is very very shaky because life wow it's the way we define it is very short you know it's from the cradle to the grave that's the way we look at life. As I said last week, that's not the way God looks at your life. There's something beyond the grave that God looks at. Um, in any case, we look at it as very short. My goodness, there's a lot of room for trouble and not only good things. Be careful. We need to distinguish between God and life. Uh, number two, we need to remember what God is good means. Right? Believing that God is good even when life is not. Any of you ever heard the expression? We used to use it in churches all the time. We would say somebody would get up, worship leader or whatever, AJ would get up and he, he'd get up in the morning and you know the drums would be playing, the keyboard would be going, the guitar would be going, everybody's pumped up. And then AJ would say, God is good. And he'd turn the mic this way and what would the people say? All the time, and Ajay would turn and say, all the time, and God is good. Okay, just full stop, full stop. We need to really learn what that phrase is supposed to mean. Because what we have done with that phrase and what we did with that phrase was very much like, I don't know, a hockey game, a football game, you know, a very much arousing celebratory thing, and... Okay, from a theological perspective, when you look at the nature of God and you survey the pages of Scripture, you are going to come to the conclusion that God is good. This is what the Bible teaches about God. So a passage from 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light in him, there is no darkness at all. This is another way of saying he is good. He is light. Light is, is what is morally uh, uh, ethical, and darkness is what is morally evil. This is the way John uses those terms. So God is light. He is good. He is moral. He is holy. He is light. In him, there is no darkness at all, not one speck. Not one speck of, of immorality, not one speck of unholiness, not one speck of unrighteousness, not one speck of deception or sin or anything like that. God is light in him. There is no darkness at all. Point final. Uh, so this, this is a statement about the nature of God. He is good. Is he good, though, all of the time? If you survey the pages of Scripture, you will see that all of the time, indeed, it is true God is good. So Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is immutable. He is impeccable. Uh, so he is good all the time. It's a theologically very true. It's very sound. But the problem is when you turn that into some kind of rousing statement about life in the way that we have tended to do it, the way that we have done it is, well, it's almost like saying, well, life is good. And because life is good, God is good. 
I mean, imagine saying that statement, and you know, and Ajay gets up, and he's got his microphone, and he says, hey, everyone, welcome to the house of the Lord, and God is good, and all the time, imagine a person who's suffering, who's there in the assembly, who hears that, they're going to think, well, you know, my life is horrible, my life is suffering all the time. My life is, go- I'm going through hell on earth, that person says to themselves. And they've got this person saying, well, God is good all the time. Well, if God is good all the time, I must be really bad because my life is awful right now. You see, so the way that we kind of have done that may need to be shifted just a little bit. It's not because life is good that we say God is good. It's not because of. It's in spite of, this is the idea of scripture, in spite of whatever life has to say, God is light in him, there is no darkness at all. John doesn't relate it to circumstance at all. He just says, listen, this is the character, this is the nature of God, he is light in him, there is no darkness at all, point final. This is the message we have heard, this is what we preach to you, this is what we declare to you. He doesn't make a commentary about life. And this is, again, we need to learn to distinguish between life and God because of does not equal in spite of. And the testimony of Scripture is more the in spite of life, God is still good. I can still trust in a good God no matter what I'm going through because he is good and he is good all of the time. You say, how, how, how? How can he be good all the time when this is bad, bad, bad all the time? Well, we'll we'll get there over the next three weeks. But I'm just telling you, this is what the scripture is saying and and the declaration of scripture. It's It's not because of life that we say these things. It's in spite of life that we say these things. We need to be careful with the rousing cheer. God is good all the time and all the time God is good. I remember another story, another experience. Uh, This was with a young adult. She was in her early 20s at best. And her parents were from the Maritimes, and she came to Montreal uh, studying and so on. And she came to to church, and uh, she was, you know, student, a young adult. And she ended up uh, uh, having two roommates, and they... They shared an apartment together. It was a set of twin girls and this girl. Her name was Beth Shannon. And they started to room together. And it was actually a, an apartment that the church owned at the time. And so, you know, they were kind of close by and all that. The apartment was very close to the church, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, she, she was a, a great young, young lady. And so were the twin girls. And I won't soon forget uh, the, the event Nobody really knows exactly what happened. But this lady in the prime of life, this young woman, passed away in that apartment with those two girls there. It was a very bizarre, very unusual, very strange event. I remember getting a phone call from the police. They were trying to wonder what in the world happened. They came to a conclusion that that these three were up to some sort of strange prayer meeting of some sort. There were candles burning all over the place. They don't really even know exactly what happened. But this young woman perished in that apartment. It was, it was an utter shock. Uh, it was kept very, very quiet, I think, for understandable reasons. Um, 
again, the police called. I remember the parents called me. And I can't get into the details of what the police found when they found her and all of that. It's a little too intense. Uh, but I remember when the parents of that child called me from the Maritimes and so frustrated. How could this happen? What happened? They're trying to figure it all out. Even the police couldn't figure out the whole thing. And it was just, you, you can't make a rousing celebratory God is good all the time, all the time God is good to those parents who are in that condition of suffering. Again, it's not because of, it's in spite of, in spite of. Um, next observation for you, and it follows. Uh, yes, God is good, and he's good all the time, but we also need to admit that life is not always good. It's not. And here's the problem that I see with a lot of Christians. A lot of us, we're really good liars. We lie to ourselves. We lie to those who love us. <laughs> How are you doing? Fine. <laughs> You're not fine, but you say you are. And we kind of, we kind of get ourselves into, um, into a mindset where the acknowledgement of pain and suffering is somehow a lack of faith. And it's somehow not a good thing for a Christian to admit that their life really is bad right now. When's the last time you, you, you greeted someone and, you know, in church meeting, how are you? Awful. Terrible. Thank you for asking. This happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, and this happened. So, you know, if you want to know the truth, I'm awful. And this is why. Do you know why we don't do that? Because we're afraid that person will turn and will judge us. What's wrong with you, brother or sister? God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. What's wrong with you? I mean, my life is fine. How come your life is not so fine? That's what, that's what we're afraid of. We're afraid that the holy, righteous, you know, person is going to say, something wrong with you. I don't want to catch what you got. Just take your problems and go because God is good all the time. What we need, if we were a little more honest with ourselves first and with others, I, I, sometimes I think the churches wouldn't be able to hold the amount of people. Finally, a community of faith that's honest about life. Life is not easy all the time, and acknowledgement of pain is not a lack of faith. It's called truth. It's not a lack of faith. Um, you know, sometimes I mean, I've done hundreds and hundreds of hospital visits. I can't even count them. I used to count them. I ran out of energy to count them. I used to track them and log them and everything that happened. I don't even count them anymore. I've done hundreds of them. Get, just, just for those of you who do that kind of thing, and that's happened in our church. I know some of you have visited people in our church spontaneously in hospitals. Amazing. I'm so excited when I hear that, when you do that. Just a tip for you when you visit people who are suffering, when you talk to people who are suffering, drop the Christian lingo. All things work together for the good of those who love God according to his purpose, blah, 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 blah. My son was just born with Down syndrome. And you're telling me all things work together for the good of those who love God and called according to his purpose? Quiet! Don't tell me that because it doesn't help right now. Sometimes the best thing for you to do when you're talking to people who are suffering and in pain is zip your lip. Don't say anything. Don't say anything. 
And you know, sometimes we, we try to come up with, oh, we'll pull this scripture. This will really be a blessing to so-and-so. No, it won't. Quiet. Listen. Pray. Listen to the person. Hurt with the person. Suffer with the person. Weep with the person. But wait, 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 wait before you start dropping scripture verses, please. Because the person's in pain. And it needs to be acknowledged. Acknowledgement of pain is not a lack of faith. Do you know how much money I would have right now if, if I had uh, like a dollar for every time someone told me by his stripes I am healed? Person is sick. Person has, I mean, they're really, really, there's a huge problem in their life. Like they're palliative. They're, they're, there's big problems in their life. They say, no, 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 I'm not sick, I'm not sick. I'm healed by Jesus' stripes and all this. By his stripes, I'm healed. I claim the promise, etc., etc., etc. Do you know how many times I have heard that? Now, that is not the time to try and correct someone's interpretation of passages of Scripture. Again, you listen and you suffer with a person. But let me tell you what that is. It's denial is what it is. It's not wrong to admit that you're sick. It's not wrong to admit that you're suffering uh, by his stripes we are healed. Yeah, but look at the context of that passage first and foremost. Peter interprets it for us and he says to us, um, by his wounds you have been healed for you were like sheep going astray and now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So yeah, I do believe in healing in the atonement. I Sure I do. But I believe first and foremost in healing of sin from the atonement. Physical healing is a secondary and a tertiary benefit of the atonement. But if you think that if you claim this scripture and deny your suffering and deny your pain and don't acknowledge it, what that is is denial. And that's more than a river in Egypt, if you know that joke. You know, denial. It's not wrong to acknowledge it. In fact, Jesus acknowledged it. John 16 and 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. He's not denying it. But take heart, I have overcome the world. In other words, there is a way for you to live in the trouble of the world because you have me. And because you have me, you may have peace even in the trouble of the world. It is not a denial that the world has problems and that suffering is a part of life. I love the story of the death of Elisha the prophet. You say, how can you love that story? Morbid. It's real. Do you know that Elisha the prophet did, did, there's only one individual in the entire Bible who does more miracles than Elijah, Elisha the prophet and who does more of a variety of miracles than Elisha the prophet in the Old Testament. Do you know who that person is? It's Jesus himself. So Elisha's like number two to Jesus in terms of power, in terms of raising the dead, all these kinds of crazy things that he did, making an axe head float, I think is one of the stories about Elisha. So Elisha, 2 Kings 13 and 14, again, the idea that life is not always good. Now Elisha, Elisha had been suffering from the illness from which he died. Excuse me? Elisha the prophet suffered, got sick. We don't know what the illness was, and he died. That's real. And there's no 
There's, it's very, said very matter-of-factly in the narrative there in 2 Kings, very straight, and you sort of look at it and you scratch your head and say, Elisha the prophet, well, why didn't God heal him? Why didn't he heal himself? This guy raised dead people, got sick, suffered, and died. It's not a denial of the reality and the pain of life. Remember a story of a couple who came into the church one Sunday night. And uh, they, no, I'd never seen them before. That's back in the time when churches used to have Sunday night services. Remember that? Yeah, those of you who grew up in church. Uh, anyway, the couple came in and the service progressed. And the couple asked for prayer for their son, who again was in the hospital, in the children's hospital, uh, which was across the street at the time. And nobody had ever seen this couple before. And they came in and they asked for prayer. And so we prayed for them. And then a strange thing happened when the service was over. The couple went home. It was really odd. One would think that the couple would actually go to the hospital to be with their son who they just asked for prayer for. It was really unusual, really odd. And they, they of course, asked that someone would visit. And so I went and visited the, the, the baby the next day, nine-month-old baby. It was the strangest, most odd most disturbing hospital visit I have ever done. Because when I went into that hospital, uh, it, it's remarkable in Quebec, in the Montreal area, you can go visit anybody in a hospital. It's like no holds barred, no restrictions. As long as you don't look like, you know, you need a shower or something, they'll let you in. It's amazing. You can visit anybody. There's, it's very, that's another story. But anyway, I got, went in there and I thought, okay, they're going to let the pastor come. You know, I had my little black book, pastor book, and looked like a pastor a little bit. I don't wear a collar when I do hospital visits, but I mean, you try and look decent when you go and visit someone. I went to the hospital to visit this little boy, and right away, there was all these precautions. They wouldn't even let the mom in to the hospital room to visit the baby alone, much less a pastor. And so they brought me in. They brought me in with the mom, and they had one or two other people around the bed. And the, the boy was in terrible, terrible shape. Uh, the boy had, uh, this was a different story of hemorrhaging in the brain and other things that I would find out later. And it was very unusual, very strange. There was all these precautions. Why, 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 why? And then I came to find out very, very quickly that they had suspected that this baby had been beaten and shaken very, very, very violently. And the mother's biological mother and her boyfriend, uh, they were suspects in the whole thing. And um, so, you know, I tried to deal with the couple and the baby and all of that, but it was clear something was not right. And this baby was in terrible, terrible shape. This baby, a few days later, would pass away alone in the hospital, nobody around him. The parents had fled, uh, left they vanished. The police had questioned them, and they vanished. They couldn't find them anymore. They were gone. And the, the, this, this baby, his name was uh, Ryan Jean-Louis, and uh, he passed away, and it was counted as a murder uh, that he had been shaken violently so badly and hit that he passed away. And this couple was on uh, Quebec's most wanted list for, I think it was about a year, and they were found under a mattress in the state of Florida, and they found them and charged them with second-degree murder, extradited them back to the province of Quebec where they served time, and then sent them back to their, their native country there from Haiti. I believe they're in Haiti now. 
And I looked at that situation, one of the most difficult, disturbing things that I've ever seen as a pastor. We need to admit that life is not always good. It's not always good. It wasn't good for that little boy who passed away at nine months old. Uh, maybe I will see him on the other side um, in heaven one day. I hope to. And um, in any case, life is not always good. And you all, you all have your experiences. They may not be that intense, uh, but you all have them. And we need to admit them. And uh, finally, we need permission. Again, Christians, really hard to do sometimes for us. We need permission to question. We need permission to doubt. We need permission to struggle. And we need permission to embrace. What do I mean by this? A lot of times we're too afraid to ask God the hard questions. Too afraid to ask ourselves the hard questions about life and the experiences that we're going through. Because maybe, maybe, maybe it's not true after all. Maybe it's all a bunch of propped up mythology that we believe in. Maybe it's like the same thing as Santa Claus at the end of the day. And we're afraid sometimes of that. And we're afraid to ask those questions and perish the thought if we actually admit that we're doubting God or we're doubting in our faith. Perish the thought. You don't want to ever say that to anyone in a church because they're going to cast you out if you admit that you're a doubter. Uh, we need permission to, to struggle in our faith, and we also need permission to embrace it. There is a beautiful story about this in, in the Gospels. Um, uh, it's in Matthew, it's in Mark, it's in Luke. It's, it's, it's a beautiful story in many ways, but a, I suppose a bit of a disturbing one in other ways. Uh, and you have to read it in all three, all three Gospels to get a picture. But the most interesting one for our purposes today is found in Mark's Gospel. And you have a, you have a situation where there's a crowd, um, the teachers of the law, the religious lot, are arguing with the disciples of Jesus. And Jesus appears on the scene, and uh, the people see him. And, of course, he's a sort of star attraction and they run out to greet him, and he asks a peculiar question. He says, what are you arguing with them about? So you're arguing with the teachers of the law. What's the deal? What's going on? I'm interested in your argument. Now, he probably knew what the argument was about, but he asks the question, what are you arguing about? It's in Mark chapter 9. And a man in the crowd, so not, a, not one of the disciples, a man in the crowd says, well, I'm going to tell you what the argument is about. Teacher... I brought you my son. Now, you probably means your, your lot of people, your followers. I brought you my son who is, get this, possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Ay, ay, ay. So uh, just as an aside, um, this, this whole subject matter, hope in the dark, we had some interesting, had an interesting dialogue with a person on, on Facebook. Uh, about this and maybe that individual is watching you can go and look at our our facebook page and you can see the the, the commentary uh that the individual uh left uh but in any case uh, when you see that commentary you'll know what i'm talking about um and so the situation with this with this boy and when you read it in luke and in in matthew he was like he's the only son of this of this man 
I brought you my son who is, who is possessed by a spirit. You're dealing with demonic possession, the tangible presence of evil in this boy's life. It has robbed him of speech. Ay, ay, ay. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth and he becomes rigid. Looks suspiciously like an epileptic seizure. I need to pause there and say it is not. This is a case where this is something clearly mentioned as being caused by the presence of evil. Sometimes we do that. Right? We say, oh, well, this is a spirit of this and this is a spirit of that. No, it isn't. In this case, it is. In this case. So in this case, the, the, the tangible presence of evil, demonic possession, had a physical result in this boy. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Ah, wow. That's a really dark situation if you're the father of this son as your only son. Jesus' answer is very striking. Oh, you unbelieving generation. Wow, he's, it's a rebuke. And if you read it in context, he seems to be rebuking more the disciples rather than this individual with a suffering boy. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. And so they brought him in their state of rebuke. And Jesus has just rebuked them for their lack of faith. They bring the boy. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. And he fell to the ground and he rolled around and he was foaming at the mouth. And Jesus talks to the, the, the father of the boy. And he says, tell me, how long has your son been this way? And he says, from childhood. Can you imagine? From childhood, he's suffering with this problem. I mean, you talk about despair. You talk about hopelessness. You talk about darkness. This is not, this is not a, a, a biological, chemical, physical problem. This is a spiritual problem that this boy is having in this particular situation. And it's from childhood. Wow, how depressing. How strong is this evil thing that has overtaken this boy from childhood and nobody can stop this from happening? Good grief. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. Presumably, the, the father would pull his boy out of danger. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. I mean, you're the center of attraction. You're the star that everybody wants to see. If you can do anything, if you, if you, can, if you can take pity on us and you can help us, and Jesus' answer very striking again, he says, if you can, everything is possible for one who believes this man's faith was shattered everything is possible for one who believes if you can and immediately the father the boy's father exclaimed and this is only in mark it's not in luke or matthew he says i do believe help me overcome my unbelief this is the testimony of many christians today we say, I do believe, I do believe, but I've got moments, I've got times where my faith has been crushed. It's been shattered by this circumstance. It's been pushed down. It's been squeezed. It's been choked. I do believe, but help me overcome my, my unbelief. Imagine from childhood, he had to deal with this problem and nobody could fix it. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, and of course, they always run to the scene when Jesus is there, he rebuked the impure spirit, you deaf and mute spirit. He said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Woo, you talk about authority. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. We don't know where it went, but it came out. The boy looks so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. Look at him. 
But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we do that? Why couldn't we drive it out? And he replies, this kind can come out only by prayer and fasting. Fascinating story. It wasn't only the boy who was rescued that day. It was also his father because his faith was decimated. And Jesus came in there and restored it. And he did not rebuke him for admitting his problems with faith, for admitting that he had these these moments, these very clear, very tangible moments of unbelief, not just belief, but there was a battle in his own soul and mind, belief and unbelief. Wouldn't you be the same? I would be if I were in that situation. And Jesus, of course, heals the boy and the father's faith would have been restored because he saw what happened as a result of Jesus being there. But he faced that tension. He faced that challenge. And there are real people in the Bible who face those same challenges as you and I. We need to start seeing that and appreciating that. And the, the, the fellow who we will look at, who's an example of this, uh, is an old, old uh, Testament prophet. Very hard name to pronounce. You, we always say Habakkuk in church. You pronounce it in Hebrew, Habakkuk. That's how you pronounce it. Try it with me. Habakkuk. The people on Facebook think I'm a kook. Okay? Habakkuk, you say. And the, the, name, the name meant two things. It meant to struggle and to embrace. And you will see that Habakkuk, he does that. He struggles with God. And yet he embraces God at the same time. And you will see that the things that he says and the complaints that he has and the the way he puts his heart on the page, so to speak, as a prophet of God is very candid, very honest, and very much like what you and me go through today. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 1, the prophecy that Habakkuk, the prophet, received so for homework what i what i would challenge you to do if you've never read this kooky prophet <laughs> whose, whose book you can barely find in the old testament I mean, you're gonna have to go to your table of contents to find this dude it's so old and so small i think it's three chapters long maybe four chapters long very very short very very small but for homework just for the next four weeks i would like you to read that book it's really short You say, well, that's so easy, Pastor. That's so easy. I can read that book in my sleep. Oh, yeah? Well, you you do it then, okay? Even if you never read the Bible before and you can only read like a paragraph at a time before you start falling asleep or asking too many questions, you just try, okay? And you try to get Habakkuk in your spirit over the next four weeks. I tell you, it will change the way that you look at this situation. There are no easy answers, my friends. I know you're looking for it and you're saying, if God is good, why this, why that? I'm not going to give you an easy answer. And probably Habakkuk won't either. But he will give you an angle. He will give you a way to go through life, even though it's hard. And he will give you a way to believe that, yes, God is still good, even though life is not always good.